said it twice let's go we are locked and loaded on the shooting straight radio podcast this is the podcast all about firearms the second amendment and all things pertaining thereto otherwise known as second amendment university and i am royce your host professor emeritus of second amendment studies Pouring it to you with both barrels with 100% felt recoil and no suppressor. And all while being heavily saturated with gunshot residue, toxic masculinity, and a faint but yet tantalizing whiff of the cologne of my people. Yep, hops number nine. You know it, baby. If you'd like first access to all the episodes, check it out at patreon.com forward slash shooting straight radio podcast. You can be a sponsor there for as little as $5, get some cool merchandise and my undying gratitude. Now we got a great program for you today. Got a repeat guest. He's been on the program with me several times before, especially when I was live on WMMB and iHeartRadio. And uh, you probably heard a lot about this guy uh, because of uh, a movie that was made about himself and several others on a rooftop in Benghazi back in 2012. And you probably read the book about him and seen the movie. And that would be Mr. David Boone Benton. Boone, welcome back to the program, brother. Great to have you. Pleasure to be back. Thank you. All right. And with him is just Sarah Adams. Uh, when I asked her earlier, what's your name? She, well, just Sarah. So uh, Sarah Adams is a very unknown uh, figure in the Benghazi saga. And the reason Boone and Sarah are here today is they're talking about a book that they have co-authored together and are now self-publishing. And I'm really excited for them to tell you about this book. And you're going to want to rush out and buy it as soon as it's available. And we're going to ask them all about when availability is here before too long. But it seems that we've forgotten a lot about Benghazi. Oh, well, that was that thing that happened back in 2012. And gee, just let's go ahead and sweep it under the rug and be done with it. Yes, we'll give it lip service every year on uh, September 11th and all that stuff. But uh, what's just, uh, I'm afraid we do that too many times with 
things that happen with our military and some of these blunders that we've dealt with as a nation. So, first of all, Boone, let's go to you first and tell us what drove you guys or what inspired you to write this book, and then we'll talk about what the book's actually about. Well, in a nutshell, what inspired us was the lack of justice. That's what really inspired us. Um, you know, we're coming up on the 10th year anniversary of um, the attack in Benghazi. And to this day, a lot of those attackers have not been brought to justice. Yes, There's a false narrative about a mastermind who is not the mastermind. Um, and other than that, there are still terrorists that are at large who are responsible for this. So, so ultimately for us, it's about justice. Good. Well, that's, it's, it's, just kind of strange to hear you talk about that because everybody thinks about this as some sort of a military operation. That's really not what it was. This was a terroristic criminal attack. And uh, we're going to, I guess we're going to get further into that in just a minute, talk about the various players. Now, when I asked you earlier about, um, we were talking about how did you get all this information? And I said, oh, yeah, well, Boone knows people. And, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you elaborate on that part. And the, well, come to find out, it's Sarah that you know more than anything. <laughs> and she was one of the people there also in Benghazi that we've never heard about. She wasn't in the movie flexing her muscles and waxing bad guys and stuff, but she certainly played a large part in what happened there. So, Sarah, tell us what's going on or tell us what went on while you were there. Yeah, so basically I was serving in Libya as a counterterrorism targeter. So basically I looked for terrorists to put on the X. So Boone and I worked together, and in the years that followed, we've spent a lot of time discussing the attackers and being disappointed in the fact that, as he said, they haven't been brought to justice. So we decided to self-fund our own investigation into the attacks, and we've been doing it pretty consistently since 2014. And we thought it's finally time to get the names out there so we can hand off the mantle to intelligence agencies and police agencies around the world to go and get the rest of the attackers for us. Well, I know you can't answer this question totally, but what is involved with looking for these guys and putting them on the X? I'm sure there's a lot of high tech stuff and spook stuff we can't talk about, but what can you talk about and let us have it? Sure, yeah. We actually did the whole investigation open source so we could share our findings with anybody who'd be willing to go look at the attackers, especially because some of them have left Libya like they're living in Turkey. So obviously classified information wouldn't have been helpful to um, hand off their names. Mm -hmm. So like any um, investigation, you know, we talked to sources on the ground. Um, we collected a variety of different information. We first confirmed that they were located at the attacks. We made sure we knew their true names. We made sure we had photos of them. And then we actually made sure we knew what their current status was. Well, uh, uh, current status meaning still active in terrorism. and Or deceased. Or deceased. <laughs> Hopefully deceased. We prefer but deceased. We can make that happen, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's the idea. So you got that. I like this. You talk about what well, these people were never brought to justice, and I could I I can understand that. Not as good as you can. You were on the roof that day, Boone, and you, I mean you guys were facing the brunt of all this stuff and the brunt of their crime. And uh, again, hats off to all of you guys for the. I've read the book and I've seen the movie, and, the, and it seems the movie doesn't do justice to the book. 
But uh, you guys went through a hard night that night, to say the least, obviously. And yeah, I can imagine you, you had some very close men and good men who were who left this life on that uh, fateful night. Yeah, I'd be ticked off about that, too. So what is um, did you guys get the green light from the three letter agencies for this book? I mean, obviously, there's going to be some stuff in here that you really shouldn't be talking about. Or did they give her permission to talk about some of this stuff? Surely you had to talk to them, right? So we actually went through the correct um, process to get the book approved um, through our current or our, our former employer, not current, former employer. <laughs> um so, yes, it has been approved by the agency. We're still waiting on one more approval from DOD, and then once we have that, we will release the book. All right. Very cool. Uh, I, imagine, I can only imagine what's involved with that. How many, how many copies of the transcript did you have to send to them? Or the uh, – not the transcript, the um, – uh, what do they call it? Manuscript. Thank you. Uh, how many copies did, did they have to get? And how redacted did it come back? <laughs> uh, surprisingly um, – the agency didn't redact a lot, which really did surprise us. We thought they would, uh, but they didn't. So that, that's refreshing. Well, what is involved with bringing these people to justice now, Sarah? Well, one of the key things we try to focus on is the fact that actually a lot of the attackers have been detained since, you know, it's been a decade now. Mm-hmm. So they're sitting in jails and we haven't asked um, to render them. We haven't even asked for access to them. So we think one of the easiest low-hanging fruit things is, hey, let's at least go after the attackers that are currently in foreign jails and bring them to justice before they maybe get broken out of those jails, get released early. You know, we have several attackers that were in jail and supposed to still be in jail when the Benghazi attacks occurred, and they were released early, one in France, one in Italy. So these early releases of terrorists um, are a huge issue, and then they lead to other lives being lost. Absolutely. That's just insane. That I mean, if if these people are murderous terrorists, why are they even allowed to come back out of prison? So while they're in prison, what are the chances of you gleaning good intel from them? You know, maybe stiff board and a jug of water. Uh, <laughs> what is, is, that a, is that a viable option? Well, we're more interested in if U.S. would extradite him to the United States and they'd face the crime of terrorism here in the United States because we don't think they'll be held in the prisons they're held in. There's a lot of catch and release that happens in Libya because oh, Libya yeah. funds a lot of these al-Qaeda-associated terrorists. So it's more the fact that we don't think they'll be held, so we do want um, – a better judicial system to process them in. It's a shame that such a process is so politicized, isn't it? And mm-hmm. this country doesn't like the United States, so yeah, we may or may not help you, or we just might let this guy out. It's a, is there a lot of backhanded backroom stuff like that going on in all of this? There, there is, but a lot of it's just their policy as well. Um, European politics have always been very lenient on crime. And it's interesting because, um, as Sarah was saying, some of these terrorists were in European prisons and they were released. They were released to go on to um, commit the crimes they did in Benghazi. And they also went on to commit other well-known crimes like the Inaminas attack um, or the Charlie Hebdo attack, which were very well publicized. Right. And so this was a large group of people. How many are we talking here? Well, we, there's about 150 attackers who directly attacked the U.S. consulate, and we've identified over 100 of them. Wow. Now, also understand when she says we identified them, there are more. 
So these are only um, attackers that we can put three different markers on to identify them. So there's others that we don't have a picture of or we can't place at a certain time in a certain location. So the ones that we do have, they are confirmed three different ways that, yes, these were attackers and they were present. So this wasn't some ragtag group of terrorists that all got on the phone to each other. Hey, you guys want to go attack the consulate down here? Uh, is, it, is it possible to talk about what they why what what were they hoping to accomplish when they went when they attacked the consulate that night? Yeah, sure. This had been an attack plan since we decided at least June of 2012. It was planned in retaliation for the death of Abu Yaqia al-Libi. He was basically the number two of al-Qaeda. He was in Pakistan and he died in a drone strike. So then the head of al-Qaeda at the time, Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri, who um, recently met his maker um, in Kabul, he was incensed that his deputy was killed. He planned this an attack. And what he actually wanted to do is he wanted to kidnap the ambassador to get more al-Qaeda detainees released because so many got released in the Arab Spring and they wanted to now go back and get all the guys who didn't get out. So he said, hey, let's get these terrorists released. It'll be in honor of Abu Yaqia. And so that was the original plan for them to capture the ambassador. It seems that that's what they they do a lot of that. They will threaten violence to get their their soldiers released. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just Al-Qaeda. ISIS doesn't know. Oh, it happens yeah. a lot in Syria. Obviously, Afghanistan the last year, the two main prisons, all the terrorists were released from it. So it is a huge problem. Well, they mimic successful models, unfortunately. It's worked before. You use what works, right? Correct. I mean, that's the first chapter in the book of Duh when it comes to those <laughs> kinds of things. So uh, um, where does it go from here? I mean, where? what stage are we at? Where? Uh, we're, I mean, hopefully this book is going to initiate a process to get this ball rolling. Uh, what's, uh, tell, us what, tell us what the steps are. So obviously there's a little bit of friction, um, not to cause waves, but the U.S. government already has, um, as far as they're concerned, their mastermind. So the case is closed for them. So hopefully with this book, we'll be able to convince them to take a second look um, reopen their investigation, and then get access to the ones who are actually incarcerated, bring them back to the United States and have them stand trial um, so they can face real justice. Also, there are a few that are actually at large that aren't incarcerated. So hopefully we're able to either put them on the X and or capture them and bring them to justice as well. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say we are able to do that. We take them out of the prisons that they're being held in or we capture them off the street and we do bring them to some form of justice. Is that any kind of a deterrent to other little terrorist wannabes out there? Is it really effective or how does this work? I mean, they're, they're of a totally different mindset and ideology over there, obviously. Uh, does, does it create any uh, trepidation about doing more of this terroristic stuff? Yeah, well, it's really interesting is because we didn't go after the Benghazi attackers, it actually enabled them. They actually made jokes about um, the two that FBI did detain, um, the one who they call the mastermind. They call him the scapegoat in Libya. So not only did embolden them, they went on and committed other attacks. Just two years later, they actually did kidnap the Jordanian ambassador, and they got a very senior al-Qaeda member released from Iraqi prison. One of the things we're most concerned about is the fact that because these attackers weren't identified, 
Americans are going into Libya now um, for business, and then we are concerned as Americans look to go back as diplomats. If they haven't identified these attackers, these attackers are a threat to them, and they will come back for the Americans, and they, you know, they will finish the job. And that's what we're concerned about is protecting um, people in our industry. Absolutely. People, I love that. People in our industry. (laughs) (laughs) You either know or you know. (laughs) Wink, wink. Gotcha. All right. Um, So you were there the night of that fateful night, if you want to call it that, while Boone and Tonto and the boys were, and Tig and those guys were up on the roof and they were fighting. Were you in contact with them in any way? In other words, were, did you know what was going on and did you have like real time accounts of what was going on? Actually, I'm world's luckiest person. I flew to Europe that day for a meeting. So I, my first interaction back with them is when I got to my hotel in Europe and I called and actually got Boone on the phone and he was on the roof actually fighting. It was around the first attack on the CIA annex. And he basically just said, we're busy, got to go, all is good. And I honestly (laughs) thought he was playing video games. And I was like, oh, playing video games. And I went to bed. So I didn't find out about the attacks until five in the morning when I woke up. (laughs) We're busy, all is good. (laughs) And we'll talk later, huh? (laughs) We're busy waxing bad guys. Uh, and you thought he was playing a video game. Because all they did I'm was play video games. Funny, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to diminish what you guys went through, but it's just the way that <laughs> no, comes it, it is quite comical. Yeah. They played a lot of video games. Let's make this very straight. I read the book. I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tactical training. And <laughs> it was professional development. <laughs> professional development. Gotcha. <laughs> oh. So you come back from Europe after, and uh, did you find out while you were in Europe what actually happened? Did you talk to him to Boone later? And so, and he let you know what, what was your first reaction to that? I wonder. Well, actually, I found out, like I said, I woke up at five in the morning to a bunch of um, messages on my iPad from my mother. So I started calling every number in my Rolodex for people in Benghazi and every phone was dead, 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 dead. Finally, um, Tig, John Tegan answered the phone. And so he's the first one who told me about what happened and you know who we lost so I, I luckily was probably one of the first Americans to, um, to to know and then I actually ended up having to go into our embassy that day and people in our embassy didn't even know they thought people were still looking for the ambassador so all day I had to kind of like not share as they were hoping to find him and wow. it, it was a priority for us too to let her know because um, again she just went away for a meeting she was slated to come back and the last thing we wanted for was for her to go back to Benghazi during that that you know incident. No kidding. So when we come back after a brief commercial break, I want to get into you know. And if I ever cross the line, you can't talk about something. Just make the thumb across the throat thing, and we'll go back <laughs> to something else. Okay. But I'd like to talk to talk about the aftermath and uh, just a few things connected there too. You able to talk about that? Well, I'm sure if you, if, if, it, if it crosses the line, you let me know, right? All right. We'll be right back after a brief commercial break here on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Do not go anywhere because if you do, I have Captain Rob and the Listener Retention Squad on standby. And you know what's going to happen if you do. Don't fast forward through the commercials either. Captain Rob is listening. All right. Be right back. Stick around. The American Police Hall of Fame, proud sponsors of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Who are we? 
We are the keepers of the history of individual law enforcement officers. We are a facility that honors the fallen and supports their families. We are a training facility that teaches civilians how to be their own first responder. We are a venue that offers free tactical and strategic training for sworn officers. We are a great place to visit and learn. Go to APHF.org to find out more. The Shooting Straight Radio Podcast is proudly sponsored in part by The Gun Sight in Merritt Island with a nine-lane, 25-yard indoor shooting range, handgun and machine gun rentals, a fully stocked gun store with plenty of long guns, handguns, ammunition, and accessories to choose from. They're your one-stop shop in Merritt Island for all things necessary to responsibly exercise your Second Amendment right. Check them out at gunsightrange.com or stop by in person at 125 South Banana River Drive. And make sure you tell them that you heard about the gun sight on the Shooting Straight Radio Podcast. Freedom Guns at Rockledge, just north of Rockledge High School, on the opposite side of the road, 1255 Florida Avenue, Suite A. You can check them out at freedom-guns.com. And better yet, just stop in there in person and meet Mike and his son, Mike, and Dennis and the rest of the crew out there. Got a great selection of handguns, long guns, ammunition, accessories, holsters, magazines. What are you looking for? Mike and the boys got you covered out there at Freedom Guns. If you need a nice big Liberty safe to stow all them guns in, well, he offers those too. He's got a floor full of them out there you can look at, and he offers free delivery and installation. Again, check them out at freedom-guns.com. When you stop down there or if you're out of state and you call and maybe order a gun from him and have it shipped to your dealer, make sure you tell him you heard about him on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Evening, y'all. This is Rod from Sigerman. As y'all know, I am a licensed firearms dealer. So if you're looking to buy a new gun, need to sell your guns, we're always open to trades as well. Feel free to get in touch at 561-445-0429. Got quite a, quite a selection on hand right now, and we can even order some stuff for you right now because the factories are putting out a good number of guns again. Something else I'd like to touch on. Remember to trust your gut, people. That funny feeling you got in the pit of your stomach right now that something ain't quite right? Um, you're right. Something ain't quite right. Take care of each other. Look out for each other. Remember that your rights are granted to you by God, not some thankless, faceless government. And never, ever forget that taxation is theft. Sigurman, godfather of the dirty hippie mafia. Huge thank yous to the sponsors of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. I sincerely appreciate you guys keeping this thing rolling for the last eight years. And I've got some great news for you. This program will soon be live again. I can't give you all the details and particulars at the moment, but stick with me and I promise you, you will enjoy it. You'll be able to call in and and uh, add your two cents to the discussion, or uh, as I used to say, add your muzzle blast to the conversation. And uh, so I definitely got some great things in the works. You're really going to like it. I can't disclose it right now, but I will be able to soon. 
All right, back with my special guest, David Boone Benton and Sarah Adams, both of whom were in Benghazi. Boone and Tonto and Tig and the boys, of course, were on the roof. Sarah, luckily, was in Europe that day, but prior to that, she was there uh, working in the intel field. And um, again, refresh, I remember you, you used to basically identify targets and, and basically bad guys and terrorists. And, um, and then pass that info on to the people that would, uh, bring them to justice. So in the aftermath of all of this, now you definitely have some targets to bring to justice. They just came and introduced themselves to you guys in a very, uh, decisive fashion, so to speak. Uh, what was your first order of business now to deal with these bad guys? Sure. In just in the original um, aftermath of the attack, like Boone said, I came back into town a day after the attacks and I ended up in the capital of Tripoli. And so at the time, we were just trying to collect as much information as we could um, regarding the attacks. And then soon the investigation got handed over to the FBI because the FBI is in charge of any time an American is killed on foreign soil. So pretty much from that point on, the FBI took over the investigation, and that's kind of what prompted, you know, about two years later, Boone and I to decide, hey, we need to do our own um, investigation to the attacks because we've seen the video. He obviously seen them in live person, you know, like we saw how many attackers there were and to have to be detained when we knew there was over a hundred, we knew somebody had to like step up, identify the attackers. You know, Boone thought I'd be a really good person to do it with because that was my job. My sole job is to find terrorists. So I found a lot of them and you'll be sick of their faces in our book. But um, yeah, we did overkill and we got as many as we possibly could. Another interesting fact about um, Sarah, she also served on the uh, select committee for Benghazi as well. Oh, very cool. So she really is a subject matter expert when it comes to Benghazi and these terrorists. Well, it just amazes me. There are so many people uh, very um, doing important things behind the scenes we just don't know about. We always see the live action stuff and the battles and things like that. And we don't know about the Sarah Adams is behind the scenes and the very important roles that they play in all of this. So as she was saying, you guys are in the middle of this massive firefight with these guys. And were you, I mean, the book and the movie, I mean, the movie, of course, is going to take cinematic license with things. Were these guys, did they have their faces covered? Or or were you able to make identification? Or was there any way that, was there any kind of camera system there at the, the, was it the consulate? Yeah, uh, the consulate. The yes. consulate. Uh, I want to make sure I use the right word. Any kind of camera system that was watching these guys and and capturing their faces. What was that? What, what, what? So we we do have CCTV um, okay. early on of some of them from the consulate, but some of the CCTV were actually targeted for destruction mm-hmm. uh, by the attackers. As far as like identifying them, and we trying to we we try to explain this to the FBI when they interviewed us. So identifying who's who there um, is almost a, a um, um, lost cause, if you will. A lot of them didn't have a standard uniform, but it was a hodgepodge. Right. Some of them had their heads wrapped. Some of them just had um, Star Wars ball caps on. You know, others would have camouflage pants with Adidas flip flops. So there was no <laughs> standard uniform, but that was very normal for um, that part of the world. 
Adidas flip-flops. Adidas flip-flops. Combat <laughs> footwear, huh? <laughs> oh, my word. That's crazy. Um, so you're there and you're doing what you got to do. You guys are defending the place and everything like that. And then once you get back and you start realizing everything that's going on, uh, first you had to cooperate with an investigation from the FBI. Uh, so now this book, I'm, I'm trying to keep all the steps in the proper order. And if I left one out, let me know. So now you're doing this book to further this search for justice for these people that did what they did. Yeah, I mean, luckily we worked in Libya. We know how Libya operates. We knew a lot of these attackers had to have been connected, obviously just originally through the Libyan revolution, right? They all just fought a war together in Benghazi. Mm -hmm. Through our research, we actually found out they fought lots of wars together, be it Algeria, Iraq, Afghanistan. So that allowed us to really build out these networks very quickly because so many of the attackers had long served together. They knew each other. A lot of the People in Benghazi knew all the extremists in town. They're very well known. They're very famous. They put some of the Benghazi attackers, there's posters up of them around town. So we actually were pretty lucky being able to identify them because, you know, in Libya, they don't want these guys either in their neighborhood. They are willing to share information on who the attackers were. They actually, even in Libya, they're disappointed. They're like, we thought the U.S. was going to come in and like rain hell on these guys. The terrorists thought they were. A ton of them fled to Syria. So the fact that we didn't have an immediate response to an ambassador, a couple of SEALs, and another, you know, consulate officer being killed was actually very surprising even to the citizens of Libya. Yes, it was. Libya. Yeah, the citizens of the United States, <laughs> yes, too. Yes, here we as well. I, I hope that. so. <laughs> we're like, you kidding me? My word. I mean, the the, the equipment and abilities that we have, uh, yeah, that didn't make any sense to me at all. And remember, we just supported an entire war in Libya, so we had every relationship in the world in that neighborhood because we actually did all of our bombings in Bengh- from Benghazi. So we could have done anything we wanted to do at that time. So he said, these guys all fought together before, and they were, um, they had that soldier camaraderie, even though I don't want to consider them to be soldiers. I don't know. They fought battles and wars in Algeria. Okay, maybe they were in their own sense and their own right. Not any to be compared to our soldiers, I believe. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of biased that way. But um, it's it's funny. Well, not funny, but it's, it's, uh, it's kind of... Strange the parallels there. You said they had their posters and pictures up and everything like that. Well, it's kind of, well, we honor our, our boys here for sure. And, you know, we, we give them as much notoriety as we can. Uh, they obviously do the same thing there, even though it's for what I consider to be a very wrong cause. So, all right. So let's say the book does get the attention of all the right people. And I know you probably can't prognosticate all of this because, I mean, it's really not, you're not calling the shots here, but what are you hoping is going to happen? Besides, of course, go, you know, get justice. What steps are you hoping are going to start falling into place to go get these guys and get justice? Well, um, I'll let Sarah answer what, what she hopes, but I, I hope that um, they go ahead and at least get access to the ones who are currently incarcerated and then that they actually reopen the investigation and um, attempt to put the rest of them that are large um, <clears throat> on the X 
And if they don't, then we're hoping because we're still treating this like a cold case, if, mm-hmm. if you will. And if they don't, then we're hoping that the people of the world in other countries who have been affected by this will step up and do it if our own government won't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And no, go ahead. I mean, my hope, you know, I spent my entire career as an intelligence officer, and I do find it um, very disheartening that we do have an al-Qaeda terrorist attack that killed Americans. And it is a cold case, as Boone said. We, the attackers have not been identified. There's actually not even any interest in this country for the attackers to be identified. It, it's kind of mind-blowing. We try to explain to people, this is the largest attack by the number of attackers ever on a U.S. facility. And again, it's just you get an eye roll when you say Benghazi. So I hope we actually do better as a country and, you know, our law enforcement intelligence agencies do better. And they don't get away with ignoring this. But that's that's a great point, Dick, and it goes back to what I said earlier. Oh, we just want to, okay, we'll we'll honor it in remembrance. Oh, Benghazi, oh, those guys are so brave, and then leave it at that. Uh, No, this needs to happen, because if it doesn't, what you said earlier, when you allow evil to get away with evil, well, you know, obviously they're going to be emboldened and further enabled to commit more. People don't understand uh, sometimes when I tell people, people that do bad things need to be punished. I've had people ask me, oh, you really believe in the death penalty? Yes, I absolutely do. For one thing, the Bible even says, so if a man shall shed another man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. There has to be retribution for the bad things that you do or evil proliferates. Uh, I remember that my first jury duty when I was 18, yeah, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, but the judge uh, was, uh, it was, a, was a woman, and the uh, district attorney was going through the interview process with the jurors. And he came to me and said, Mr. Bartlett, do you believe in the, uh, the application of the death penalty? And I said, oh, absolutely. And I quoted that verse. And he said, well, do you believe in the... Uh, I forget how he worded it, but do you believe in using the electric chair? And I said, I believe in electric bleachers if it'll get the job done. Well, the <laughs> judge was just taking a sip of her water, and she spewed it all over the bench. And everybody was laughing, except the district attorney, of course. But uh, the, the necessity of seeing this through is very important. And I wish people would see that and understand it. And they would certainly give them a better understanding of why you are doing what you're doing with this book. So Yeah, and really another point I'd like to make, we had to leave a lot of things out of the book for um, decency laws in the United States. But these attackers have gone on to kill thousands in Libya. And we're not just talking about killings. We're talking about dismemberments, beheadings, burning people alive, lynching them, torture, public executions, involving children. They're, these are the worst of the worst that you can imagine, and we've just let them be free. Yeah, and they are. They are the worst of the worst. I've read many things that they have done to people, and not just the ones in Benghazi there. You know, I'm talking about especially even the Taliban, now that they have free reign now in mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And some of the horrible, horrible things they have done there to infants and things. And it's like, are you kidding me? These people are absolutely evil. Um, 
Ugh, it's it's shuddered. I shudder to think about it. And remember, some of the people in the Benghazi attack actually fought in Afghanistan with the Taliban. So all these guys are connected. And if you don't start getting them at the root, it's just going to keep growing and becoming a bigger problem. I believe that too. So I mean, uh, so all these guys, ISIS, Al Qaeda, all of them, they're all interconnected some way. I've always I've always uh, assumed that, but it's good to hear it from people who've actually been there. So. Yeah, what a lot of people don't actually realize is ISIS came from al-Qaeda in Iraq. So right. when we say there was al-Qaeda in Iraq attackers there, now they're ISIS, right? They joined ISIS mm-hmm. in 2014, 2015, and, and so on. And a lot of people don't actually understand that. Yeah. And if you're hearing thumping people, uh, we are at the American Police Hall of Fame, and there are, they are shooting in the range not too far away from us. And so, uh, Norm, that is not somebody hitting the table like last time. Okay, just so you know. Um, uh, what, what is the name of the book? It's Benghazi, Know Thy Enemy. Know Thy Enemy. That's some, that's, that title is very good advice. Yeah, well, we want, we want everyone to know our enemy, right? And this is the best way we thought of doing that. Well, because our enemies over there are often, by our media, uh, whitewashed, so to speak, and made to look like just a bunch of, uh, you know, ideologues who, you know, they just, you know, they really want peace and they're really good people. They're just slightly misguided by their religion and their ideology. No, these are horrible, torturous, murdering scumbags that they don't need to be breathing free air, if at all. So, yeah, there was this this joke that went around after the Benghazi attacks because one of the State Department spokeswomen said, well, the issue is it's more nuanced is because they don't have jobs. Yeah, that's got to be it. The low unemployment rate, that has to be it. Even though it's a country of socialism, everybody gets a monthly check and they don't even need jobs. Uh, yeah. You know, it's probably because they don't have an electric car, too. True. I'd be willing to bet that's it. They don't have a job and they don't, they don't have an electric car and they feel displaced somehow. And so they're just acting out. Could that be it? Maybe. Yeah. So, Boone, uh, I take it that, that even... I, I don't know the extent of what you were doing there in Benghazi prior to that fateful night, but uh, something tells me you relied on her a lot for intel for whatever you guys did have to do over there prior there, too. Yes, definitely. So a lot of people don't understand what a targeter is or what targeters do. So outside of the agency and JSOC, uh, targeters don't really exist. But a targeter drives everything that everyone else does. So without the targeter, you're not going to be able to find... Um, these terrorists. You're not even going to know you need to find these terrorists because they really do identify who they are, where they might be, and then come up with a way how to put them on the X to bring them justice. So our our targeters are key. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I I know you can't talk about exactly how you target these people and things like that, but uh, uh, whatever you did have that intel, you pass it on to these guys. And, and you, and it, it doesn't make sense to really fight these guys any other way, I wouldn't think. They, they're not going to meet you headlong in the field of battle, man-to-man, tank-to-tank, if they don't have the equipment that we have, of course. They don't have the resources that we have, and so they do have to fight like terrorists. Uh, frankly, I think they should just give up and realize we're going to beat their butt every time we meet them. But anyway, anyway. Um, so Know Thy Enemy, you guys are co-authoring this. Um I think I asked you this before. How soon before it might come out? Hopefully. Well, I mean, what's the prognostication? 
we're looking for the anniversary of 9-11-9-12. Okay. Well, that'd be great. That'd be great. Fantastic. But, but, you know, Boone, like he was a decade ago, is still waiting on the government. (laughs) 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 So... It Touché. is what it is. Touche. Awesome. That, Sarah, that was the best. That really was. That was so perfect. That was more perfectly timed than a cruise missile. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you've never really, but I know that having talked to you and others that know you, you've never really got into that side of things, the political side of no. things. Well, you know, what? What should have happened? Who should have come and helped you guys and all that stuff? Anything you want to talk about regarding that now, or you just want to leave that? No, no. Um, I, I think Sarah said it best. So Okay, then we'll just leave that right there. Well, what else do you want to let the audience know about all of this? One at a time. <laughs> we really do want them to understand that this isn't just another Benghazi book. Um, They will learn a lot. It's extremely important. It's not something that's been put out before. It really is information that they have not seen. Um, Actually, it's going to be surprising to um, the FBI as well because we have information that they don't even have. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I really think this is going to be interesting to people outside of our industry because we actually made them – made the book look like in our world. So you're not going to pick up a book like this anywhere else. Like this is like picking up a document inside the CIA, right? And then reading it. So we're kind of excited to share um, a little bit of our background and our history too, you know, with the readers and they can understand what we do in the shadows. Yes. Well, is there any kind of uh, concern that you might be targeted for this, for this expose, so to speak? I mean, if those terrorists want to come to America and come after us, please do, because then we can get you faster. <laughs> Catch them easier, right? <laughs> we got lots of friends here. <laughs> well, what about even maybe with some people in the upper echelons of the spook world, I call it? Do you think you're going to have any problems there? or Not, not from the agency. Um, if anything, the biggest issue has been the FBI, um, just because they're, they're on the wrong trail. You know, they identified two people who um, really – were were bad people, but didn't have a lot to do with that night. Hmm. Yeah, and, you know, the FBI has known um, at least that we've been working on this. Um, we passed them off a source once a year ago. One of the attackers was speaking on Clubhouse, and we gave the FBI a heads up. Hey, maybe you could geolocate him. So we have at times reached out to them. They know who we are. Um, but I do think we're known by our integrity and our ethics, and I do think – Everyone knows we're going to put out a quality product, so we're not too concerned in our industry. We think it'll be well-received. Oh, good. And I certainly hope so. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, I, I read, uh, I got that copy of uh, 13 Hours from you uh, when you were doing a book signing over in Merritt Island one afternoon. I remember that. And I went home and dove right into that thing and could not put it down. And it was read by the next afternoon. I'd gone all the way through that thing. Uh, I went through that voraciously. I imagine I'm going to do the same thing with Know Thy Enemy. So, we hope so. Yeah. Well, I'm planning on it. I just need to get a copy of it. You guys need to get this thing published. All right. You'll definitely get a copy. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys, is there anything um, that 
my audience might be able to do to help you get this published monetarily? And if you have any kind of a funding source they could go to and donate perchance or have you, have you done that? No, I think the thing that is going to be most useful to us is once the book comes out, we'd like to people to advocate to bring these people to justice. Say, Hey, this is important to us as Americans, you know, write your congressperson because they get away with not investigating the Benghazi attacks because the American public doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Well, it, because it's died off in their minds and in their memories, and it needs. To, I, I hope this is going to resurrect it, so to speak. Well, um, uh, I'm going to definitely, after I read the book, tell because I tell people all the time on this program, be in contact always with your representatives. That's your duty. It's not just your right. It's your duty. This is the government of, by, and for the people. The people need to be active with those people. Those people that there are not our leaders. They are our servants, and we have got that backwards, and that's the problem. So, yes, we. Uh, I, I tell you what, as soon as it comes out and as soon as I get a copy, uh, I am definitely going to be plugging away for people to do that for this case. I'd love to see these guys brought to justice. They need to be. Now, even if these guys are brought to justice, is it going to make a dent in any way, shape, or form in the number of little terrorists running around out there and doing terrible things to people? So I, I think it will. Um, cause like Sarah said before, after the attacks, they were expecting the four horsemen to come to Benghazi, and that never happened, and it did embolden them. So now I think it'll show them that, hey, we haven't forgotten. Um, maybe we didn't come and get you that next day, but the United States government will come and get you. Um, although that didn't happen, that's the hope that, yeah, we, we will, and they'll have that in the back of their minds. Yeah, and another thing is, is um, they don't think anyone's watching them. So there's attackers in our book who thinks that we think they're dead, and mm. we have found them and located them, and now it's going to be public that they are still alive, and that's going to turn their world upside down. Oh, I hope so. I hope it causes many sleepless nights and makes them do something really stupid and expose themselves. And uh, Look up in the sky a lot. <laughs> now, I think they do that already, don't they? <laughs> Not if they think that we think they're dead. Oh, that's true. Okay. Now, on a side note to that, um, some of these attackers are deceased. Um, some of them, um, well, most of them primarily have been killed by General Haftar from the LNA in Libya, but some of them were killed by U.S. airstrikes. But it's interesting because they weren't killed because of what they did in Benghazi. Um, it was a U.S. airstrike for another reason, and they just happened to be there. Mm. So they were off doing other terroristic stuff in another place and just happened to be caught. Okay. And, and well, the U.S. government had no idea who they were. Yeah. You know, I got a feeling they don't know who a lot of them are. Yeah, that's the scary part, and that's why we hope people start doing a better job at this. All right, good deal. Well, listen, I sure appreciate having you guys on the program today, and as soon as this thing's uh, up and out, I will certainly send you the link to it. And, uh, and as soon as the book is out, I'm going to definitely be plugging that again. And uh, how much is the book going to cost? Do you know yet? Got it priced? Yeah, it's about $27. $27. That's pretty cheap for a book these days, especially for a good book. Especially for one with a good purpose, too. All right. So that's Benghazi, Know Thy Enemy, with co-authors David Boone Benton and Sarah Adams. You don't want to miss that. Thank you guys again for being on the program today. Hope to have you on again soon.
Thank, Thank you, you very much. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Keep your head on a swivel. Keep your powder dry. Keep your gun loaded. Keep in contact with your representatives. And never, ever forget that incoming rounds always have the right of way. Royce out. So turn it on, tune in, crank it up. Royce Bartlett and the Shooting Straight Show.